0: Right. Good morning, everyone. Good morning. Good morning. It's great to see so many here, uh, and welcome. If you're, as Mike you said, you're a visitor, you're very welcome. If you're not a visitor, you're also very welcome. If you're a regular, it's good to welcome everyone. Uh, my name's Andrew Knowles. I'm part of the church congregation here, uh, and and from time to time they let me preach, which um, is always a bit risky. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> now, who had bacon for breakfast? Oh, we've got one in the back. Oh, who's had bacon this week? What's happened to the good traditional British breakfast? Okay, over? Okay, did you know that you can thank Amos for the fact that you can have bacon for breakfast? More on that later on. How many of you have read the book of Amos recently? Okay, there's some keenies to put in their hands. Anyone who saw the Facebook group, I did actually mention that I was talking on on, on, uh, Amos this morning, and I did suggest that there might be a test. There will indeed be a test. You are about to be tested on Amos. And what is Amos? Let's start with that. I mean, how many of us have ever read Amos? I mean, I have obviously recently quite a lot of times, but Amos, it's one of those books that's tucked away towards the end of the Old Testament it's in the section referred to as the minor prophets uh, because they're short books and they're prophetic and they all tend to be around the subject of, um, well, around the same subject as Amos, really, so we'll get into more of that later on. So let's get going. First question in the test about Amos. What did Amos do <laughs> for a living. now, these are I've made it easier for you. I have given you multi-choice options, okay? Was he a wine merchant? was did he care for trees? Was he a potter? Was he a food taster? So get lots and lots of answers. I do this by blocks, okay? It's not that highly competitive, but uh, so let's start with you guys. So you guys over here, anyone over here want to volunteer what Amos's job was? He was also, by the way, a shepherd. But they're all shepherds in the Old Testament, aren't they? I mean, Moses was a shepherd, David was a shepherd, Amos was a shepherd. I mean, you know, it's sort of standard. Everyone did shepherding. Okay, well that's two wrong answers so far. <laughs> Okay, the clue, by the way, is in Amos um, 7, verse 14, where he's variously described as. anybody else going to answer then? These guys are. Sorry? He, he cared for trees. Yes, he was a, a dresser of or cared for. Some say sycamore trees, sometimes it says fig trees, sometimes it says sycamore fig trees. The translators clearly couldn't make up their minds. Um, anyway, Mary, um, you get a little prize for that. Uh, Rachel here has a bowl of fruit, Uh, but you have have no choice, by the way. You have to have a plum. So that was a bit of a warm-up question, really, to get you going with Amos. So let's read a bit of Amos now, because clearly most of you haven't read much of Amos recently. So we'll start with the easy bit. We'll start with the, uh, the first eight verses of chapter one. This just gets it going. It sets the scene. So, the words of Amos, one of the shepherds of Tekoa. And tree dresses as well, but he covers that later on. The vision he saw concerning Israel. Two years before the earthquake, when Uzziah was king of Judah, and Jeroboam, son of Josh, was king of Israel. Okay, just a very quick potted history there, because I don't want to assume that you all know what's going on here. So, very quickly, the Israelites... Way way back, were serving in. Uh, they were slaves in Egypt, under Moses. They were led out of Egypt through the Red Sea, the story that many of us know. And they spent forty years in the wilderness before God took them into the Promised Land, the land that He promised to give His people. And they lived in this Promised Land for hundreds of years. And over time, they split into two different kingdoms. So there was the Kingdom of Israel. And there was a the kingdom of Judah. Um, the, the nation of Israel comprised 10, 12 tribes, and 11 of those tribes formed the nation of Israel, and one of those tribes was the nation of Judah. Okay, it's a very quick, potted history. Uh, I'm sure lots of details there are uh, slightly fuzzy, but that's where they got to. So this is where this book is coming in. It's coming in towards that time when they've been in this land, they've split into two different nations, and they're, they're living quite comfortably for the most part, and this is right back two thousand seven hundred years ago. So it's a long time back. So this is the words of Amos, and he's talking specifically when Uzziah was king of Judah, and Jeroboam, son of Josh, was king of Israel. So you've got two kings, one of Judah, one of Israel, the two different nations which formed overall. A bit confusing because you've got the Kingdom of Israel, you got the, yeah, the Kingdom of Israel, then you've got Israel as a whole, which includes Judah. But it's not included in the kingdom of Israel. You don't, let's not even go there. But you, I mean, you hopefully get the picture. So this is what Amos says The Lord, the Lord roars from Zion and thunders from Jerusalem. The pastures of the shepherds dry up, and the top of Carmel withers. This is what the Lord says. For three sins of Damascus, even for four, I will not relent. Three sins of Damascus, even for four, what does that mean? Uh, in the sort of writing style of the time, that basically meant lots. because that's, that's a long way of saying lots, for lots of sins. For, lots of, for the three sins of Damascus, even for four, I will not relent, because she threshed Gilead with sledges having iron teeth. I will send fire on the house of Hazael that will consume the fortresses of Ben-Hadad. Don't worry about the detail of the names, you don't need to remember who they are. It's just the, it's the principle here. I will break down the gate of Damascus. I will destroy the king who is in the valley of Avon and the one who holds the scepter in Beth Eden. The people of Aram will go into exile to Kia, says the Lord. So Damascus, this is not part of the kingdom of Jerusalem. So this is outside of Jerusalem. God's saying, I'm going to destroy these people. Next few verses, this is what the Lord says. For the three sins of Gaza, even for four, I will not relent because she took captive whole communities and sold them to Edom. I will send fire on the walls of Gaza that will consume her fortresses. I will destroy the king of Ashdod and the one who holds the scepter in Ashkelon. I will turn my hand against Ekron till the last of the Philistines are dead, says the sovereign Lord. So you're getting the picture here. God, And again, this is Gaza, this is outside Judah, and this is outside Israel. So God is having a go through Amos and predicting, prophesying that these nations will be destroyed, and they'll be destroyed for their sin. And it carries on in a similar vein. Actually, it carries on in a similar vein for pretty much all of Amos. Question two. This is a little more subjective, this question. If Amos was a film, what rating would it have? (laughs) Would it be a U? You know, U, that's the one that's safe for everyone. Would it be a PG? So... Pretty safe, but, you know, it might be, might be slightly scary. A bit like finding an email. There was a little child in our – someone used to use film clips in our previous church, and there was one child that you would always sort of would guarantee would squeal and, at, the, at the slightest, slightly scary thing. So is it is it Amos a bit more PG-like? We're going to skip the 12s because I want to keep four answers. 15, ooh, a bit more adult. We don't tend to watch many 15s in our house because, to be honest, too adult for me. Uh, or we go right to the top of the scale here? And this is the series 18 film. Okay, what do you reckon? I should have got it to do by groups again. So let's do. We had. A, we had a. We had. Let's do this group. 18. 18. Teresa. Yes. 18. 18. Amos is very, very graphic. I mean, probably by our standards, we might stand back and say, really? But actually, if you read it, you know, and back then they didn't have television and film. They had words. And, and it's, it's very graphic. But, you know, physical violence, sexual violence, it's, it's not good from that point of view. And this is in the Bible. It is very graphic. But what it says by being so graphic and by some of the illustrations and some of the behaviors it describes, it says that nothing is hidden from God. Because those, dis- those behaviours that are described in Amos, as a historian, if they're, they're written down like that, and, and this, is, this is just as a historian, not in that it's the word of God as well, then those things were probably going on. You come to it's the word of God, those things were going on. I'm not going to go into the, the details of them, but uh, yeah, not good. And it also means, it tells us that God sees what's happening behind closed doors. So nothing is hidden from God. And through Amos, God was telling the people of Israel, everything that's going on in your land is not, you know, I can see everything you're doing. And the nations beyond Israel as well. Okay, so it's time for uh, um, another prize. So there we are, Theresa. You get to choose. You get a limited choice. Okay, let's come to the third question. So we talked, I read there the first eight verses, how many different nations did Amos prophesy against? So those of you who read it recently, can you just remind yourself of the list? I'll make it easy, aren't I? I'm going to give you some. So is it one? Is it five? Is it eight? Or was it 29? So, where should we go for this one? Uh, um, uh, let's go over here, you guys. You guys can give this one a stab at this one. 29 different nations. Okay. Anyone want to challenge that? Mary. Yeah. We had an eight from Sally. Go on, we'll give, you, we'll give you a fruit, Sally. It was eight different nations, they were the nations around Israel. Uh, and let's just look, look at them. This is God. As you, you saw the first, eight, the first eight verses there and what God was saying I'm going to destroy this nation for their sins. And he talks, starts off with Damascus. And he's, so Amos is in Israel and he's prophesying this. And he starts his prophesying by saying, God's going to destroy Damascus. And the Israelites are all saying, Yes, that's, you know, because Damascus has done bad things to us. You talk about the iron sledges. I mean, whether they were agricultural sledges or weapons of war, those were iron sledges with teeth that were probably used quite aggressively. I won't go any more graphically than that. Gaza. Yay, they're another one that we don't like, so the Israelites. Tyre. So as you work, if you get a map and you go around, they're not in strict order, but as you go around Israel, these are the different nations that are listed there. Edom. Ammon. Moab. If you read the Old Testament, you'd be familiar with some of these names. Judah hang on Judah there are neighbors there are brothers god's going to destroy judah and send them into exile and that's seven on the list and the last one is israel so through amos god was speaking judgment on eight different nations including israel and amos is nine chapters long The first couple of chapters go through this list of eight and gets to Israel. And then pretty much all of it, apart from the last five verses of Amos, are all about God's judgment on the nation of Israel for the things that it did. And the point here, really, is that no one is beyond judgment. And this is quite unusual for the Old Testament in terms of God pronouncing judgment on nations outside of Israel. God often pronounced judgment on Israel. Uh, And and for hundreds of years was telling the Israelites, you know, stop worshipping these idols and doing all this bad stuff. You know, you're my people. I've chosen you. But here God is saying, these are the other nations. God is saying, I'm the judge of effectively the world. I will judge all. Nobody is outside the reach of God's judgment. And that's that's a hard message for the world today. But it's also an encouraging message. We're living in a world right now, you've seen the news recently, and there's, there's lots of stuff going on in parts of the world and it's a bit uncertain, but there's also a lot of injustice going on. And what God is saying through this is, I, you know, I am going to judge all and don't worry about the injustice that you see in the world because I will deal with it. Okay, question four. Who quoted Amos in his final message? Now you can't answer it. Now you know all these anyway. Uh, where should we go for this one? This, uh, who should, you? Know, I haven't actually given this block an opportunity. So, but not the front row. I won't exclude the front row from this block. Who quoted Amos in his final message? Was it Jesus? Was it Paul? Notice these are New Testament characters. Was it? Moses, oh, he's not a New Testament character. By the way, they do say that when you put a multi-choice quiz together, you ought to give at least one answer that's really obviously wrong. Okay? Just a clue there. And finally, Stephen. So who do we think in this block here, excluding the front row? Sorry, someone say Moses. Moses, Moses was way before Amos. (laughs) Oh, oh so no, no 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 I want I want the right answer please the right answer what's the right answer? I was I was giving this you jumped in there, but yeah I didn't get to it. It was Stephen. But yes. It was Stephen. And it was Stephen in Acts seven, forty-two to forty-three. So for those of you unfamiliar with Stephen, the story of Stephen, so Stephen was um one of the deacons, I think, in the New Testament, in the early church, in the Book of Acts, uh, and he was dragged before the Sanhedrin—that's the Jewish ruling body—to account for the fact that he was basically converting people. He was God was using him to to, to bring His word to people, uh, uh, and he gave a speech before the Sanhedrin, a, a sermon, if you like, a preach, whatever, and, and he talked through the story of the Israelites very quickly uh, and explained how God. Had, had Jesus fitted into that, and Jesus was, was the natural progression, was, was God had prophesied that God would come and bring Jesus. Uh, you know, and, and, and what he said specifically when quoting Amos, he quoted the section of Amos, and I haven't actually written down that, it was Amos 5, 25 to 27, that he quoted. And, and this is where and Amos, that, in that section, that's where God is saying basically, you know you're you're going through the motions but actually you, you your heart is not in it you are you are not committed to to me and so Amos so Stephen said that to the Sanhedrin so he was telling that as part of the story but he was also challenging the Sanhedrin you know you're going through the motions you're you say you're the people of god but actually you're missing his word and you're missing out where jesus fits into that so there we are that was stephen Right. Question five. What picture? So this is back in Amos again. What picture did God use to illustrate the nation of Israel? He used several pictures. Actually, I, I said earlier on that um, there was uh, of all you know, there's nine chapters in Amos, and the last about six verses are positive and uplifting. And all the rest pretty much are, I'm going to judge these nations, and particularly Israel, and these are the things you're doing wrong, and all that stuff. But there is one picture right in the middle there, it's, I can't remember exactly where it is, it's from Amos 5 or something like that, where he, God gives a slightly positive picture, and he describes Israel as being like the sheep that the shepherd rescued. A couple of bones and perhaps an ear, rescued from a lion. That's how he describes of Israel, he, a remnant The bits and pieces left over after the lion has ravaged. That's one picture he uses for Israel, but that's not the one that's here. So what picture did he use? Was it a larder full of loaves? Was it a barrel of fish? Was it a dead lion? Or a basket of ripe fruit? So we all know the answers because everyone's whispering it quietly in the background. So Let's, let's go with these guys again. Basket of fruit. Basket of ripe fruit. Absolutely. Amos 8. This is what the Lord showed me. A basket of ripe fruit. What do you see, Amos? He said. A basket of ripe fruit, I answered. Then the Lord said to me, the time is ripe for for my people Israel, I will spare them no longer. So he's describing Israel as a basket of ripe fruit. So we have a basket of fruit. It's been passed around here. Uh, who answered that one? I think Peter answered. Yeah. Have you given him a plum? Brilliant. Okay. But when you look at a basket of fruit, a bowl of fruit in this case like that, you know, what do you think? What, what catches you other than the fact that it's got less plums in it than it used to? Any, any thoughts about a basket of a, a, a basket of ripe fruit? It's not just fruit, it's ripe fruit. Sorry? Great, ready to eat. Absolutely. Yeah. Fragrance, the smell of it, yeah. Colour, yeah. I mean, it's really attractive, isn't it? A basket full of ripe fruit. And that's how God describes Israel. You are a basket of ripe fruit, you are full of colour. You smell fragrant. You look good. But what happens to a basket of fruit about two days after it looks really good and it's ripe? It's gone rotten. It's been eaten. In, some of it's been eaten. It's, yeah, so it doesn't last. It's a, moment, it's, a, it's a moment in time. That basket of ripe fruit is so tasty and succulent, but it is only there for that moment in time. Israel, you are like a basket of ripe fruit. I will spare them no longer. This is hard stuff for Israel, isn't it? I mean, it's not they're not, they're not getting uh, much out of this. And what are we getting out of it, reading all this challenging stuff from Amos? Well, let's look at the next question, which is... Oh, it's another picture from Amos. How will God measure Israel's spiritual condition? So we've already talked about it. He's described them as, as, as ripe fruit. Uh, we've already heard about the fact that, yeah, this... this not a positive message for them. So how's he going to measure their spiritual condition? Is he going to use bronze scales? Is he going to measure with a plumb line? Is he going to measure their condition by how well they listen to the prophets? And the answer, of course, is he he within Amos? Or is he going to measure them using pounds and ounces? So let's, uh, let's get back to this lot again. You're looking very studious and intelligent over here. (laughs) <laughs> what do we think we got we got we got a definite plumb line here yeah 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 so what is a plumb line do guys of you who got plums Do you want to hold them up <laughs> so we are so there we are so it's not a straight line but we got a line of plums you know so yes the answer there is a plumb line and we have a line of plums but of course that's not the plumb line that's being talked about so have you got my plum there? There we are. Thank you. Shhh. 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 This is a hard-working plumb line end. Any resemblance to a wine bottle stopper is entirely <laughs> coincidental. And my son-in-law very cleverly came up with a way of actually attaching it so it didn't hang crooked. Yes, this is a plumb line. Anybody ever actually used a plumb line in practice? Oh okay. there we are. Hanging wallpaper. I've never thought about that. You know, um, this goes to I'm... Um, right. Okay. So, who who was it who used a plumb line in practice? Okay. So, if you want any DIY done, guys, <laughs> these are the people to ask. I need a fence putting up. Anyone want to volunteer for that? <laughs> no. Uh, so that that's a plumb line, and it hangs. Technically should do a proper one anyway, but it wasn't actually a wine bottle stopper, would hang dead straight. And plumb lines get mentioned on several occasions through the Bible, and also um, other forms of measuring line. And they used, yeah, you know, literally you talk about building things, you're using measuring lines, but also as a standard, you measure against, oh, I'm not in the string now, I'm used to practical things, it's already tangling up. What is it about string? You just It's like electrical cables, isn't it? You lay an electrical cable on the floor, turn your back on it, and it coils itself (laughs) like a snake. But there we are. Okay, so. A plumb line is useful for checking whether something is straight. And God's using a plumb line to measure Israel's spiritual condition. He's performing a spiritual health check. On the nation, that's covered in Amos six. I'm going to take that off me. Thank you. We don't need to give out any more plums, by the way, because some. Um, I've done the little plum line joke. <laughs> I'll leave it to my wife's discretion at this point. So yeah, in Amos six um, verse seven, that. Um, Amos writes, or it was recorded from the words of Amos, this is what he showed me. The Lord was standing by a wall that had been built true to plumb with a plumb line in his hand. And the Lord asked me, What do you see, Amos? A plumb line, I replied. Then the Lord said, Look, I am setting a plumb line among my people Israel. I will spare them no longer. When did any of us? last apply a spiritual plumb line to our own lives? When did any of us actually think, how was my life measure up with what, how God would have it? Let's linger on that point for a moment. So, I'm a practical person, so my answer to that question would be, well, actually, how does God want my life? How do I know What I'm measuring against. Okay, if you're measuring against something, so how do I not measure against? So so I don't know. I mean I'm I'm a Christian, so what we we talk about how often should I pray? How often should I pray? How often should we pray? How do we think? Unceasingly. One Thessalonians five, verses sixteen and seventeen. Uh well basically verse sixteen is rejoice always. You should be rejoicing always. 17, pray continually. 18, give thanks in all circumstances. But this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Pray continually. Is that a hard standard? How about another measure? Reading the Bible. How often should we read the Bible? Sorry? Daily? Daily? Anyone got a, a verse from Scripture that might help you th- actually sort of set a standard for that? One of my favorites is Psalm 1. Who delights, whose, delight, this is, this is, whose delight is in the law of the Lord. This is talking about yeah, um, yeah, a man who's after God's heart. Whose delight is in the law of the Lord and who meditates on his law day and night. No, it says meditates. It doesn't say reads it but meditates on it. So that's an exacting standard, isn't it? Pray continually, meditate on the law, God's law, day and night, God's word. I'm not going to ask whether any of us actually would think we aspire to that, or not aspire to, but would achieve that standard. Um, But what that's talking about to me, really, is it's about having 24-7 faith, a faith that's active all day long and all night long. And one of the uh, accusations in Amos against the people of Israel is that, you know, you, you go off and you do your stuff at the, uh, you're very good at doing stuff at temples. You're very good at doing all of that stuff, but actually your heart's not in it. You want to get it done and you want to get out and move on with life. But God's encouragement to us is to live fully for Him 24 7. Uh, there's several verses that support this. Let's just go to Romans, in Romans 12, verse 1. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Looking, how do we work, looking to worship God 24-7. Okay, let's move on to the next question. So there's a section in Amos where it talks about complacency. What does God say was a sign, what did God say was a sign of being complacent in Amos? Was it snoozing in the shade, strumming on harps, going shopping, or planting a vineyard? These guys again. Any, 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 any takers on that one? Planting a vineyard. Now we're getting some shakes. Strumming on harps. Yeah, it does actually mention planting a vineyard in Amos, but it's not specifically in the section about complacency. But certainly in uh, Amos 6, 1 to 7, and I think that's my next slide, actually. Yeah, there we are, verse 6, verses 1 to 7. I've skipped a couple of verses because they're more descriptive, they're not really relevant. So it's, woe to you who are complacent in Zion, and to you who feel secure on Mount Samaria, you notable men of the foremost nation, to whom the people of Israel come. So he's here addressing the rich, the wealthy, the uh, those with authority. And then, I, I love this passage. It's very it's very. You know, this is one of those graphic passages that illustrates God seeing through into people's lives the sort of things that they're doing. You lie on beds adorned with ivory and lounge on your couches. You dine on choice lambs and fattened calves. You strum away on your hearts like David. You drink wine, buy the bowlful, and use the finest lotions. But you do not grieve over the ruin of Joseph. Therefore, you'll be the first, among the first to go into exile. Your feasting and lounging will end. Do any of us do any of those things? Anyone here strum on harps? Drink wine, buy the bowlful? Okay, I think we're all exempt from the bowlful bit, aren't we? Um, imp- improvise on musical instruments. Yeah, there's nothing wrong with all of those different things individually. But what God is saying is that you're not. yeah you know, In that case, you're not grieving over the rule of Joseph. You're not. You are not paying attention to the issues that are in Israel. I mean, it was. It was. We had this, the message about peace earlier on, and pauline brought about peace, and then Peter brought about false peace. And what these people were enjoying was a false peace. It was a relatively peaceful time for israel yeah they had these nations around them and they had these issues but for most of the israelites a lot of the israelites a lot of the time certainly the rich ones it was peaceful they were able to do all of this stuff and enjoy their lives but they weren't they had no heart for god and there was also massive injustice going on i haven't really talked about that so much so far but there was massive injustice the 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 book of amos is full of you are oppressing the poor you are selling the poor into slavery you're robbing from the poor the people of Israel, some of them had a good life, but it was a false peace. We'll come back and talk about complacency a bit at the end. So, a couple more questions. Question eight. All oh, right, this is the one you've all been waiting the answer to. So, who said Amos allowed us to eat bacon? Indirectly, I have to say. I've taken a bit of a liberty, but not much. Was it James? Was it Paul? Was it Barnabas? Was it Caiaphas? So, (laughs) any volunteers for this one? It's not Caiaphas. We've managed to rule out Caiaphas. Well, that's a good start. give you a clue, it's in Acts 15, verses 30 to 20. 13 to 20. Yeah. Acts 15, verses 13 and 20. And what what happened was here, so this is Acts, so let's quickly go through this. This is New Testament church, and New Testament, obviously the the start of the church, Jesus was a Jew. A lot of the early believers were Jews. Um, The word spread spread to Antioch. A church formed Antioch. Paul became part of the church at Antioch. Paul was a Jew. Uh, And then after a while, some people came up from Jerusalem, which is where the church sort of started, uh, and they came to Jerusalem, and they said they came to Antioch, and they said, "You know what, you Christians, you, these new Christians, you're not Jews, you're Gentiles, but you really ought to be doing following the Jewish laws." And the church weren't so happy about that. The, the Gentiles weren't very happy about that because they liked their bacon sandwiches, um, and there were other things that they may have had to do that they didn't want to do. So Paul and Barnabas went down to Jerusalem and had a chat with the church leaders, and they made their case, and then. James, that's the correct answer, by the way. The, all of those of you who said James, I know it's most of you in the room, I'm sure. But, uh, so, J, so Acts 15 verse, chapter, verse 13, when they finished, James spoke up brothers, he said. Um, well, I won't read it through in detail, but he basically he quotes the very end of Amos. He says, the words of the prophets are in agreement with this. This is the, the fact that God should allow the Gentiles into the church and he quotes, um, after this I will return and rebuild David's fallen tent. These are words from the end of Amos. It lies in ruins, and I will rebuild, and I will restore it, that the rest of mankind may seek the Lord, and even the Gentiles who bear my name, says the Lord who does these things, things from long ago. So it's my judgment, says James, and therefore we shouldn't make it difficult for Gentiles to turn to God. Um, we should Write to them, and we'll just give them a few rules. So we should, they should abstain from food polluted by idols, sexual immorality, um, blood, and meat from strangled animals. But most of the other rules that don't apply, don't apply. So it's, it's thanks to Amos and James, and obviously God had a hand in it as well. All this stuff you never knew about Amos, eh? Right, a couple more questions. What will drip from the mountains? So this is in that last section. Honey, olive oil, coconut milk, oh. <laughs> or new wine. Okay, I, did I miss new wine? Never mind. Okay, so which of those four things will drip from the mountains? Very end of Amos. Honey, olive oil, new wine, coconut milk. Okay, I'll give you a clue. There is a Christian festival named after this <laughs> new, <laughs> new wine. Absolutely. New wine, right at the end of Amos. It said, Amos, nine chapters, most of it doom and gloom on Israel. I'm going to judge you. You're doing bad things. Right at the end, I will restore. And this is God's message of hope. And there's no do this and I will restore. It's just a promise. I will restore. And that's God's promise to all of us. He offers restoration through Jesus Christ, who died for us. Through Jesus we can come and have a relationship with God. And all of this stuff is about relationship. What God is saying all the way through Amos is really saying, you don't have a relationship with me. You don't want to know me. You don't, you know, you're not doing the things that I would have you do. You're abusing the poor, but you don't have a relationship with me. Oh, there we are. That's, that's, um some verses for the uh, from amos 5 uh and we've had this all the way through you probably see on the slides seek the lord and live and this is god's instruction to to israel it, or plea to israel and it's here in amos 5 um verse 6 seek the lord and live i will do these things i will destroy and i will and and, and but basically seek the lord and live and that's not live as in otherwise you'll die but that's live in and have life in its fullness. Okay, I'll skip over those, conscious of time. Question ten. Last question you'd be glad to know. What's the main theme of Amos? And hopefully I've articulated some of them some of the themes to you. Was is it concern for the poor? I haven't really talked about that much, but that really, if you read any commentary about Amos, concern for the poor, social justice is is you know that's that's very much a big theme running through Amos. Is it that God will restore His people? Is that the main theme of Amos? You had that right at the end of Amos. He will restore David's fallen tent. Is it? Don't be complacent. All that strumming of harps and drinking bowlfuls of wine and all of that stuff. Or is it God sets the standard, the plumb line, which has disappeared? God sets the standard. What's the main theme of Amos? All of them. Absolutely all of them, and more potentially. The one that really stood out to me, particularly was about complacency. What does complacent mean? Thinking you're okay? Yeah, the word complacent, what does it mean? Yeah, thinking you're okay. A feeling that you don't need to try harder. That was my approach to most of my exams when I was at school and university. I would learn just enough to get through. I was never getting the top mark because... I knew what I needed to know to get a good mark, but you know what? I get to that point. I don't need to do anymore. I was complacent. Are you complacent about your faith? I realized I was complacent a long time ago um, when I was challenged by, uh, so I was in my mid-20s and a met a guy at work, and he said, oh, you're a Christian. Yeah, I'm a Christian. Uh, okay. Uh, and he said, oh, have you been baptized? Yeah, I've been baptized. Uh-huh. Have you been baptized for the right reasons? Okay. Okay. Yeah, well, uh, yeah. Um, uh, have you got an accountability partner? What, uh, someone you tell all your sins to? Okay. Uh, uh, and he challenged me. God used him to challenge me because what he was setting was a standard way up here, which actually, I mean, frankly, it's more cult-like. But for a while it wobbled me, because not that I doubted my faith, but actually, oh, am I, am I actually a Christian? Actually, do I, how much of this stuff that I've been a Christian for about 10 years, but how much do I actually know about my own faith? And that challenged me to understand my own faith better and to learn more. And I think, yeah, it's easy to become complacent when you're in the workplace. Over the years later, I mean, one of the Amos verses Amos i didn't I didn't cover was but one of my favorites is in Amos five, it's eight verse five. and it's this part of verse that I'm reading it here, and it says this is this is what the Israelites were saying, and they were saying, when will the new moon be over? That's the new moon festival, that we may sell grain, and the Sabbath be ended, that we may market wheat. What they're saying there is, you know, basically, when will the church bit be done so we can go back to work and that's what we want to do? And that particular verse is, is framed by, them being, by social injustice and the fact that they were also robbing the poor. But that's, that's a challenge for all of us. You know, we come here on a Sunday. We even do church stuff during the week necessarily. But is that enough? Is that enough? God sets the standard with the plumb line. Is what we're doing enough? Am I still complacent? Pray continually. Meditate day and night on my word On other things. God sets a standard. And Israel and the Amos has challenged that standard using the plumb line. But how does it apply to us? I mean, we're all doing good stuff. I mean, I look around at this church and I, I wouldn't say you're anything like the Israelites. I mean, in terms of they were doing stuff, they were doing the God stuff, but they're really, they're, their hearts were not in it. We're doing the God stuff. And, you know, I, you know, I know, some, you know some of you reasonably well. And there's a lot of heart there. There's a lot of commitment there that but i challenge myself still am i am i still complacent am i i'm doing stuff but am i doing enough what is enough and enough i think is about an attitude it's about wanting to get closer to god praying continually reading the word meditating on the word having that relationship with god that's what God called, was calling Israel to, and that's what God is calling us to an attitude of wanting to get closer to God and keep getting closer to God, and never saying, I've reached a point where I'm satisfied. God challenged uh, me a couple of years back, and, and, and at that point, I felt I was complacent. You know, I'd sat around for a few years, not really done very much, and God was challenging me, saying, Come on, I want you to draw closer to me. And I don't want you to draw closer to me, Andrew, because because I'm God and I can tell you to, I want you to draw closer to me, Andrew, because it's good for you. It's good for you. And God is saying that to all of us. I want you to draw closer to me. I want you to keep moving forward. We challenged our Connect group at the start of this year. How do you want to move forward in your faith this year? That challenge was for us as well as leaders of that group. And it's not because God demands that you do more and God demands more things of you. It's because God wants that relationship with you, because God knows what's best for you. And He just wants you to deepen that relationship. And that's really the challenge I've taken away from Amos. Is God wants to build that deeper, deeper relationship. Because it is so easy to become complacent. We don't even know it's happening to us. There's a brilliant quote here from John Kirkby, founder of CAP. About complacency. Complacency is the killer of so much. It's easy to sit back and say, yeah, and he's talking here about giving because CAP, Christians Against Poverty, it's very much about finance and helping people with debt issues. We've obviously got folks here who know a lot about CAP and the work that it does, the great work that it does. So complacency is the killer of so much. It's so easy to sit back and say, yeah, I give enough for the right reasons. As a couple, we've decided, this is John Copey, not us, but it's a good principle. As a couple, we've decided to increase our giving by 1% every year. This ensures our complacency is kept in check. Yes, it does hurt when you can't do something because of your giving, but that's how you keep giving it an edge, keep striving on for all it achieves. They've set a goal, they've set a standard. They're saying we're going to do this every year. We're going to give one more percent, and that's the challenge for all of us: is how are we going to move forward in our Christian life? And I'm a practical person, as I said, so I like to have goals. So you know, we sign up to foundations. last year whenever it was and we want to keep moving forward in our faith and that's my so my encouragement to all of us but it's not because god just wants more god didn't go to the people of israel through amos and say you know i I just want you to do this stuff because i'm telling you to what god's saying is i want you to do this stuff to be holy to behave the way i would have you behave because it's good for you and he says that to us today so very practically, what can you do? Ask God for faith goals. Read, pray, talk with others about this. Look for opportunities to serve. But most importantly, as from Amos, it's been all the way through, seek the Lord and live. Live. Not live or die, but live, live life to its fullness, live life. We are created by God. We are created in his image. He has things for us to do, things that will fulfill us, things that will take us places. God is bigger than we can imagine. And in the relationship, God is saying to us, come and get to know me better because however well you know me, there is loads more you don't know. And it's going to get more exciting. So the challenge of Amos to Israel and to us is to seek the Lord and live to live that richer and more fulfilled life in him.